It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports on a Thursday? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, the irreverent John Riley. We're broadcasting from our Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center studios in San Diego, and we welcome you to our Thursday podcast. John, unbelievable number of late-breaking stories. We're going to fan out. We're going to go a lot of different directions in the world of sports. Well, this is Thursday, right? So we can have the the big podcast. Looking forward to it. Uh, Let's talk for just a second about what happens right at the end of the show. It's called Fans Forum, and we're going to take this program lots of directions. We are challenging everybody who's part of our live stream team. They can ask questions. We will give them answers. Fans Forum right at the end of the podcast. How does it work? How does it work? So, yeah, all you got to do is get on the live chat on Facebook or YouTube and type in your question or comment for Hacksaw, and we'll get you involved in Fans Forum. And a reminder, we invite you to subscribe to everything we're doing. Yeah, we're on all the platforms. The Instagram numbers are just blowing up, Lee. It's unbelievable. So you got to like, follow, share, and subscribe on all the social media platforms. But make sure, most importantly, subscribe on YouTube. That way you'll get updates whenever we drop any of the new video clips. And share with all your teammates, your followers, your friends, and if you like sports, and I know you do, see that address at the top of the screen, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. That's my website. I write on it every day. Guarantee. If you read it, you'll know everything in sports. You read it, you will like it. Our podcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. There are nine in San Diego to serve you. Fix it, build it, and enjoy it. John, topic one. Topic one. Okay, let's go back into the MLB notebook. There's been some interesting breaking stories. Yeah, let's talk first of all about the Padres. The Padres, the White Sox, the Yankees, Washington. There are a lot of different datelines as we look at the baseball notebook. Padres embark on a six-game road trip in Milwaukee, then on to St. Louis. It sure looks like they're in a world of trouble. And when they come home from that six-game roadie, and they're 61 and 67 as they go out. When they come home, three with the Giants, three with the Astros, three with the Dodgers. They have their work cut out for them. I don't know that they can dig out of the hole that they've created. We're waiting for the word on Robert Suarez, the relief pitcher, thrown out of the game on Wednesday. Illegal substance on his wrist never got to the mound, was checked in the outfield by the second base umpire, came to the mound, home plate umpire looked at his left wrist, ejected him immediately. Illegal substance. He says it was sunscreen. I get a sense, though, Miami had been spying Robert Suarez in the past. I think they thought there was something amiss, and that's why they had him checked as he walked in from the bullpen and Mm -hmm. then double-checked on the mound. The other factor, and he argued sunscreen, but it was a rough substance. So was it sunscreen with rosin? Was it something else with rosin? And since you wear a long sleeve shirt, why are you wearing sunscreen beneath a long sleeve shirt? <laughs> and on top of that, it was on the wrist. It was on the underside of the glove. Mm. I'd hate to think this guy was cheating. 
Miami must have thought this guy was cheating. The guy's probably going to get suspended for 10 games because that's what's happened three other times this season. MLB must think Robert Suarez was cheating. One thing I don't understand, we had the incident early in the season with Max Scherzer of the Mets who got suspended. But they let him go to the clubhouse and wash it off. Yeah, yeah. Came back on the mound and then still threw him out of the game. Right. But why was Suarez not afforded the opportunity if it was just sunscreen? But the fact that... The fact that it was on the inside of the glove, just that that looks very, very suspicious to me. And what a terrible time for this guy who's kind of an important component of the bullpen brigade. And he's pitched really well since coming off the disabled list. Why would you even risk it? So that's the Padre notebook. Let's go to the White Sox story. They're done. They fired everybody in the front office. White Sox get rid of Ken Williams, the team president, former general manager, got rid of general manager Ron Hahn. It's been a brutal rebuild. White Sox won the World Series, John, in 2005. Since that time, they have won two playoff games in 18 years. Wow. And, of course, this season is a miserable season. They've had 11 seasons since 2005, under 500. They've had years of 89, 90, 95, 99, and 100 losses. And they've tried every component to transition from where they were to rebuild. They did it in the (coughs) international theater. They did it with draft picks. They did it with college players. They did it with big money free agents. And they've just been beset by a lot of interest. Just nothing has ever worked at Comiskey Park. So everybody in the front office is gone. There ought to be some condemnation of the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf. He just... Lives in his own world where I own this team and everything's okay. Well, not not is everything okay because it's been 18 years with two playoff wins. From that, we'll go to the Yankees situation. Boy, this is kind of messy. Brian Cashman, I don't know if his job's in jeopardy. He's been there a long period of time. But the Yankees are sub-500. Yankees have been ravaged by injuries. Brian Cashman yesterday called the season a disaster. They've had so many hurt players, so many guys on injured list, and they don't have much in the farm system. I don't know if he's in jeopardy, but now the media critics are really zeroing in on Hal Steinbrenner, the owner. What has your franchise become? And a really sad day in Washington. Steven Strasburg is retiring. Ex-Aztec walking Mm -hmm. away from the game has never been able to recover from the surgeries. As a young pitching sensation, he had the forearm elbow surgery, recovered from that. Shoulder surgery, recovered from that. Blood clot incident near the neck, seemingly recovered from that. And then more neck problems. Never recovered. He's pitched only 31 innings in three years. I mean, his career broke down really fast. He had signed a seven-year, $245 million contract extension. I'm, I'm not going to say Hall of Fame guy, but if he had stayed healthy, he might well have been a 200-win pitcher and a mm-hmm. dominant pitcher. His career stats, 113-62, and 62, 3.25 ERA, very dominant pitcher. His postseason number, 6-2, 1.46 earned run average playoffs World Series for the Washington Nationals. Nice. So it's sad. He, you know, he made himself, he grew up at San Diego State, made himself a dominant pitcher, got drafted really early, could have been a Padre had they not 
gone out and beat Washington in the final weekend series, cost themselves the number one pick. Strasburg could have been here, but great career. And to travel the long, lonely road of rehab from three significant surgeries and just continue to come back and try to give it a go, he just finally raised the white flag. So, John, you got your Padres, (laughs) the White Sox, the mess that the Yankees have become, as we say farewell to Steven Strasburg. Pick a topic. Tell me what you think. Well, I mean, there's so many on the table there. But let's talk about the White Sox because it wasn't that long ago that they had a really great farm system. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those players we were all expecting to be really good. I mean, like um, Eloy Jimenez and there was a bunch of other names. Luis Robert. And, I mean, yes. just all, there was a whole collection. And they all got to the top. And they've never been able to stay on the roster. They were always hurt. Yeah. So it's it's it's... So unfortunate because, you know, the GM, the president, they're going to get blamed, right? Which makes sense. They got to take the heat. But isn't it weird how baseball gets so many injuries? I mean, you, you understand it in the NFL and the NBA to a degree but and with pitchers. But why all these position players getting hurt? Well, they train 11 months of the year and mm-hmm. they play really hard. So therefore, they run into fences and they get hurt. And there have been a bunch of them this year. And guys blow out knees, run on the bases. And guys get hurt diving for balls and injure a shoulder. So, I mean, the injury situation, I think, is a lot more significant in baseball now than maybe it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago, because these guys are fanatics about training. Now, what are you going to do about the Yankees? Oh, you know, they need to be a a substantive team. They need to be a competitive team. I mean, they're the evil empire, right? Uh, At least for some of us West Coast fans. But again, it's just like the injury thing blew everything up, just like the White Sox. So, you know, again, I I, I go back to comparing all these franchises and their strategies and signing all those big names— rarely works. You know, we've seen that with the Yankees, the Mets, the Padres, where the Dodgers spend big money, but they know how they have a strategy with a lot of good farm players. And it seems like that is the secret sauce. Do your friends in San Francisco know you're becoming a Dodger fan? Have they just heard this? <laughs> I'm not a Dodger fan, but you got to give you know props to what, you know, they, they deserve respect. And what do we say about Strasburg's career? Oh, yeah. I mean, special guy, you know, local hometown guy, you know, one of two Aztecs that were MVPs in the finals of their respective sport. So we're all rooting for him. But it would have been the Padres' luck to get him, sign him to a $245 million deal and lose him. But did, didn't did Strasburg leave money on the table when he retired? Because he has a few years left on his deal, doesn't he's he? In the middle of a seven-year 245. Now, maybe insurance is going to cover that. I don't think he's given money back to the mm-hmm. Washington Nationals. But... What a cruel part of the game. I oh, mean, yeah. this guy was dominant. And this guy had he had to reinvent himself a couple of times because of the significance of the injuries. He blew his elbow out at Syracuse and AAA. And he came back. And then there was the shoulder issue. Then he came back. Then there was the blood clot in the shoulder issue. They had to remove a rib. And he tried to come back from that. And then he came back. Then he developed a neck situation. Jeez. And that's the thing he never never recovered from. And you think, I mean, he spent in excess of maybe almost three years trying to rehab, trying to rehab, trying to rehab, and just kept having setback after setback. And then he left spring training after another flare-up, and that obviously was the end of the equation. But what a really fine pitcher. And, you know, maybe maybe we argue Maybe he's the greatest Aztec baseball player of all time, with all due respects to Mr. Padre Tony Gwynn. But holy really? cow, yeah. No, I mean, he's up there, but yeah. he's not the number one. I'm, I mean, who else? So what other ballplayers? I mean, there's Mark Grace, 
Bud Black. I mean, what other ball players played there? Tony Gwynn Jr. Bobby Meacham. Bobby I mean, Meacham. Yeah, I mean, there were a whole bunch. But at the end of the day, we'll put Strasburg right next to Gwynn as being a great Aztec, Aztec oh, yeah. for life. So no, no doubt. But, yeah, phenomenal. Uh, tough break. I mean, imagine just spending your whole life playing ball, getting to the highest level, and then everything starts breaking down. It's got to be the most frustrating thing in the world. And then you rehab, and you're ready, good to go, and you break down again, and something else breaks. It yeah. just, just kept happening to Steven Strasburg. Speaking of breaking down, oh. this is a really terrible story. Yeah, the news broke. I mean, Shohei Otani's this is a big offseason for him. Well, Showtime is done as a pitcher this year. We have yet to determine whether he's going to need surgery. He has a partial tear in the ligament in the right elbow, the ulnar ligament. A couple years ago, he had ligament surgery, missed an entire season pitching. Uh, it, it ends what has been an unbelievable season for this guy. 44 home runs, 10-5 and five record, dominant strikeouts to inning ratio, and the fact that he's a two-position player, never, hardly ever misses a turn, always in the batting order all the other days of the week as the designated hitter. This is really tough. And, the, you know, as, as you allude to, he becomes a free agent. So now does this change the dynamics of what the negotiations are? Are you signing Otani for the future to be a 46-home run hitter? He's got 44 and 46 now the last two years. Are you signing him with the potential he goes back on the mound? We don't know if he needs surgery. They're, they're going to treat him first with a plasma platelet injection because it's only a partial tear in the elbow. Then if that, if that does not take, and that's a six-week evaluation, then they could go in and do what they call brace surgery, which is the lesser of the Tommy John surgery. It's kind of a newfangled thing hmm. that helps pitchers get back in within three to six months. If they do Tommy John, then it's the entire 2024 season that he's out. Now, he could still be a DH uh, if, regardless if he has brace surgery or even if he has Tommy John surgery, he won't play in the field at all because they won't allow him to throw, but he can still swing and be a DH. I don't know what it does uh, to his marketability. Is he a $50 million a year free agent now because maybe he's going to be just a one-dimension star rather than the multi-position superstar? Does it change how clubs view him differently now? Although the DH is in both leagues, so I don't think that that should be a problem. But I, I just tried to think back, and the only word I could use this morning thinking about Otani was, what a gift oh, we yeah. got to see. Yeah, It's one of the few guys that I told you, I'm vacuuming the house. Angel game is on TV. I turn the vacuum off, come in and watch him swing or watch him oh, pitch. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not many of those guys draw me away from other things. But what a special guy and what a what a tough situation. But his career is not over. It just may, may look a little bit differently going forward. Angel's season is over. Uh, it's just a horrible finish to the season for Phil Nevin. And at the end of the day, go back to the magic word is injury. Hmm. My goodness, they just put Mike Trout back on the disabled list. Really? After two days, he's got severe pain in the Hammett bone area. He had done all, seven weeks of rehab, thought he was ready, took BP and all the swings and everything, got into the doubleheader in Cincinnati, and the pain just became too great. So he's gone probably for the year. Jeez. Rendon is on the 60-day DL. They moved him off the 40-man roster, put him on 60 so they could create roster spots, and now there's no Otani as a pitcher. 
So you got the top three Halo players gone. So their season's effectively over just what a disaster. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I think Artie Marino needs to sell the team. But let me ask you, Hacksaw, you, if, do you think that other general managers around the league might say, hey, Otani was a great pitcher, but we're kind of done with this gimmick, and now we just want him to hit? Do you think it'll ever come down to that? It might. It might just because of the wear and tear factor and the fact now he's had two of these surgeries. Yeah. Uh, he's been hurt. He's had two major injuries in... Is it five years or six years with the Angels? That being said, sports medicine's phenomenal. If it's brace surgery, he can probably come back. There's a lot of guys who have come off some form of elbow surgery that are still pitching and pitching pretty well in the major leagues. But tough blow for him. It can be fascinating to see now how other people view him. If I were the Angels... I'd offer him $50 million a season for the next three years. Mm-hmm. And if he turns out to be a double-duty guy, so be it. If he's just my DH and he continues to play at the level he's playing, so be it, too. If I were a king, that's what I would do. What would you do? Um, I, I, I would get yeah, he's a once-in-a-lifetime talent. you got to sign him. But I think this injury might have cost him at least $100 million. I mean, this is, this is a big deal because now they're not sure what they're getting, right? You know, are you getting the two-way player or is he just a one-way? But he is just too valuable as a talent, as a marketing engine for your organization. So still, every team has got to be all hands on deck to get that guy. We shall see. Everybody I talk to is of the opinion he will be a Dodger. We'll see if the Angels are going to let that happen. We'll see if Seattle is a player out there. I don't know if San Francisco is a player. Yankees might be a player, but I think you're going to be bidding on Otani's bat, not necessarily Otani's arm. And if you get him back as a pitcher, depending on what this offseason surgery thing looks like, then then you get yourselves a tremendous talent. What a gift. What a gift it's been just to watch him. I said months ago, I got all kinds of response. If, if anything happens and he exits Anaheim, just say thanks. He gave us six yes, he did. great years mm-hmm. and just leave it at that. Now, we didn't have enough to talk about with injuries. Now we got lawsuits in baseball. This story is not done. Okay, we're going back to Bally Sports again? I mean, this, this, we were talking bankruptcy last time. Okay. As we know, the regional sports networks, as we used to know, have kind of collapsed. You know, the pecking order is Bally Sports was a subsidiary of the Diamond Sports Group. Diamond Sports Group created the Bally Sports Regional Networks. Sinclair Broadcasting owns Diamond. So they're they're the big television syndicate. Sinclair own tons of TV stations around the country. Diamond Sports Group, which ran Bally's, has filed a lawsuit against the mothership Sinclair charging that Sinclair emptied the Diamond bank accounts, took $1.5 billion from Diamond's accounts, put it in the Sinclair accounts, because Sinclair decided regional sports networks didn't work anymore, we're not going to fund them anymore, we're not going to pay rights fees anymore. So they took all the money out of the Diamond accounts, forced Diamond into bankruptcy, which meant the end of the end of the Padres contract and all mm-hmm. the other contracts, and Diamond is in bankruptcy. Diamond wants its money back. They want to. They're suing their parent owner Sinclair, saying you took all of our money and forced it in bankruptcy. Diamond has still got twenty-seven contracts for NBA and NHL teams, and they're trying to figure out how can they stay in business with the money one point five bill taken by Sinclair. 
weird story. Evidently, this story is not over. Yeah. Well, well first of all, doesn't Sinclair own some uh, independent stations here in San Diego? I think they do, but they own, they own a lot of stations around the country. Yeah, because I've seen their name used a lot. But isn't that weird? I mean, it's like, you're, it's like a family dispute. You're suing your parent or something uh, for money. But I, I think the parent company, Sinclair, is right. The regional sports, I don't know if it works anymore with people cutting the cord. Exactly. But you got all these contracts, and Diamond's trying to keep its head above water and says that's $1.5 billion we could have used to pay the rights fees to clubs. You took it out of our bank account to force us into bankruptcy, and here we are with the end result. So a story that is yet to be finalized. We go from that because a college football season's about okay, to open. This is your time right here, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's called Week Zero. Mm-hmm. So this is the early preseason non-conference games for a couple of schools. I think there's only five games this weekend. Uh, The highlight game is Notre Dame-Navy being played in Dublin, Ireland. Oh, wow. Anyhow, San Diego State opens its season. Snapdragon Stadium, Saturday afternoon against those guys, the Ohio University Bobcats. My alma mater. This is going to be fascinating because I think somebody's going to get ambushed in this game. You got San Diego State's going to go on the field with a new offensive coordinator in Ryan Lindley, whom I really like. They got the the quarterback Jalen Maiden, who spent five years playing different positions, and then because of injuries in the mess last year, he wound up starting at the end of the season. He threw for over two thousand yards. Hmm. So now you got Lindley coming in with a brand new playbook that nobody has ever seen on video, and you got Maiden back. And they got a couple of young running backs. And what they've done is they have gone and taken some pages from the University of Utah's double tight end formations. And they're going to ambush Ohio with a double tight end, throw down the field to the tight end, and then run the ball to their backs and throw to their backs. It'll be interesting to see if they can ambush, because Ohio's never seen that on video, unless Ohio looked at what Utah did. So that, that's fascinating there. San Diego State's got to replace three offensive linemen from an offensive line that was really porous last year. They don't have quality wide receivers. They got to replace three down, all three of their defensive linemen. And those guys up front, the Tavais of the world, made the rest of that defense, the back group of that defense, work. Now, they, they do have a lot of experience at linebacker and even more experience in the secondary. So the big, the big question is, can the Aztecs hold up against a Utah team that returns 16 starters? I'm sorry, an Ohio team that returns mm-hmm. 16 starters. Bobcats got a 3,200-yard passing quarterback in Curtis Rourke. They got their top three wide receivers back. Between them, they caught about 140 passes. They go down the field all the time. They have a running back that runs tough. They averaged 421 yards per game last year, but they gave up 426. Don't play a hell of a lot of defense. <laughs> so the, the, the question is, can the Bobcats surprise the Aztecs? Ohio does a lot of fast-paced tempo offense, no huddle and all that. you got a new Aztec defense in front. Are they going to be able to hold up if they have to face a lot of snaps? And the Bobcats have shown their ability to throw the ball down the field and throw the ball deep. And Curtis Works a hell of a talent. He was the Mid-American Conference Offensive Player of the Year. We talked about Jake Hayner. Mm. Curtis Work is kind of like that, and he can run the ball better than Jake Hayner wow. ran the ball. So I, I, I think it's just fascinating. I'm a big Brady Hope fan. 
I think he needs a bounce-back season. I think that was an aberration of a season that San Diego State went through. But as I told Brady at the Monday press briefing, because he kept looking at me, (laughs) and he said, you okay? And I said, well, I'm kind of conflicted. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you know what I'm talking about. And he knows I went to Ohio U because he was at Ball State. Yeah. I said, you'd be an emotional mess if the Aztecs were opening against Ball State. So how do you think I feel? So we get down to the press conference, and he says, any other questions? I said, one other. I said, full disclosure, reached down my bag, pulled up my Ohio U jersey. I said, would you have any problem with me wearing green and white on Saturday in the press box? He laughed. So I, I think it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be a wide-open game. But very interested to see how different Ryan Lindley's playbook is from anything they had here before, if Maiden can take the next step forward, and obviously the enormous challenges because the Aztecs' offensive front is going to have to hold up in front of Maiden against a very physical force, Ohio defense, and obviously the Aztec defense with three new defensive guys up front. I don't know how they're going to go after Rourke because Rourke is going to throw the football down the field. Somebody's going to get ambushed on Saturday afternoon at four o'clock. Yeah, well, we, we don't really know what we're going to get. You know, this is so. This will be our kind of our first toe in the water to see these two teams. I like this double tight end formation because Maiden is mobile, he's strong, but he's not really accurate down the field. So having the wide receivers, we kind of only have a few of them, having the two tight ends, multiple backs, a lot of 10-yard throws, five-yard throws, and then him scrambling, that could work. Do you think I should have said something to Brady that I said? We weren't sure whether they were going to let me come to practice because I have all these friends at Ohio. And I looked and said... Well, you think I'm going to tell them what you're doing, practicing three and outs and throwing interceptions? <laughs> so, I'm fascinated to see it. I saw Ohio at the end of last season against Miami of Ohio, which is their bitterest rival, and they beat the crap out of them. And Miami was a really good team. So San Diego State plays really, what do I call it, cement-tough defense. Mm-hmm. That's their history. That's their calling card. They're going to need that because Ohio is pretty rugged and Ohio's pretty doggone explosive. It's it's going to be fun. And and I tell people all the time, this is the best home schedule I've seen San Diego State play in years. I mean, not just because they're playing the Bobcats, but they're playing UCLA in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And then they get all the enemy in the conference, the hated ones, Boise, Fresno, Nevada. They all come here. So, I mean, it, Aztecs have a chance to really have input as to whether they can win the race or who's going to win the race because they're playing all the big boys at Snapdragon Stadium. So if you're a college football fan, if you used to be an Aztec fan, think about going back because these are really good teams coming into the yard this year. Yeah, well, especially with all this talk about them maybe going into a different conference, they need to step up and perform, the Aztecs. Um, but uh, what's, the, what's the game time on Saturday? Four. Okay, so there's going to be some heat. I mean, remember we had that problem with the Arizona game a few years ago. Well, that was that was a one-off. No, I yeah. think they're talking, last I checked on the Weather Channel, 76 degrees, and a breeze blows through Mission Valley. So I, I think it'll really be nice, unless the green and white dominate, and then we'll find <laughs> out. Okay, let's go from that college story to this college story, because I don't understand this. Yeah, Reggie Bush, back in the news. Yeah, this is really nasty stuff. Legendary... Mount Helix star, USC star, Heisman Trophy winning star, 
NFL star with New Orleans, Detroit, other teams. Reggie Bush is filing a defamation lawsuit against the NCAA. And he's indicated that they defamed him when he asked for the return of his Heisman Trophy and all of his records at USC to be reinstated. Now, it's a strange approach, but the NCAA went public in 2021 and said, Reggie Bush was ineligible to play for USC when he starred for Pete Carroll at USC in the Matt Leinart era because he and his family had gotten illegal benefits from a marketing company. That's what led to the NCAA probation. Reggie Bush's public stance now, and he's got this national attorney, Ben Crump, who's advising him, his public stance is NCAA rules have changed. You are now allowing players to get NIL money. This should be backdated to when I played. Now, I think that's an absurd approach. Now, was he defamed when the NCAA said in 2021 he's not getting his trophy back and the record's not being reinstated because he wasn't eligible to play because he and his family took illegal benefits back in the day? So Reggie, is, his public stance is you're paying players now. I should be grandfathered in. I got you know, he never admitted he got anything, but obviously it was proven his family did. He said, players are getting paid now. I should have my trophy and my statistics, my retired uniform reinstated. And the NCAA said no. So it, to me, it's it's kind of far-fetched. I, I think the thing that really bothers me is Reggie Bush never cooperated in the investigation, refused to meet with the NCAA. And, of course, they don't have power to bring a guy into court. He never apologized to USC. The end result was, because of the arrogance of Mike Garrett and what they felt was wrongdoing, his theory was, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, it was proven your family took over $100,000, got a house and car and all that. So you didn't get benefits out of that? We'll never know because he never never ever testified. Um, and he never said he was sorry. And when they got done with USC— they lost 30 scholarships, four years probation, bull ban, just just chopped the head uh, of the program off. And it's taken him forever to come back from it. He's never apologized to USC for what happened while he was there. He continues to say, I did not get any benefits. I don't know very many people that think that's actually true. Um, and I don't know that where he's standing on this lawsuit has legs to stand on because the rules today are different. But you can't grandfather in something in the past. I don't. That's complicated. Your reaction? It is complicated. But he broke the rules and he paid the price for that. But I, I just see an interesting parallel outside of the world of sports with people in, in marijuana. You know, people are in prison for marijuana. That the law changes in many of these states, and then they release them from prison um, because the rule changed. And in that case, that makes sense because they're incarcerated. But in this case, he's not incarcerated. He's still a free man. Um, was he tarnished by this? Well, yeah, but he brought it on himself. So I don't see this lawsuit working at all. And it didn't destroy his career. He was the number one pick in New Orleans, had a nice career with the Saints, made a chunk of money, mm-hmm. uh, obviously went to Detroit, a couple of other clubs before injuries finally ended a decade-long career. Had a TV career on Fox, so it's not as if it was catastrophic. You know, he can he can say through his lawyer, I never accepted anything. Well, we don't know that, but the end, and he says the NCAA was unfair. Well, we don't know that either. Uh, he tried to bring former running back coach Todd McNair, 
who lost his job at USC for either lies or lack of cooperation. That case eventually was overthrown in court. And he said, see what they did to Todd McNair? Well, look at what they did to me. Well, I don't know that that case has anything to do with the Reggie Bush case. Uh, it's very deep. It's very complex. I, I just not sure I can connect the dots on this whole thing because it did it damn his reputation a little bit. Did it damage his career? No. Had a hell of an NFL career, too. So that's where we are in that situation. One other note here in pro football before we get to halftime of our Thursday podcast. Thursday podcast. We've got the big board here, Lee. So let's uh, let's dig in. Yeah. You know, we got one, one weekend of preseason games to go in the NFL before the season starts in a couple of weeks. Massive roster cutdowns come. And we got controversy. Kansas City is not Kansas City right now, and their star defensive tackle, Chris Jones, is not there and says he's not going to be there. Chris Jones has a year to go on his contract. He wants a pay upgrade that would take him to about $25 million, which would put him number two on the pay list behind Aaron Donald of the Rams. And now he says, I'm not coming in. And he, he can sit out. This is odd. Even though he's got a year to go on his contract, he can sit out eight games in a dispute. Now he's going to lose eight paychecks. Hmm. He's going to lose $7.5 million if he sits out eight games. He has to be there the ninth game. Otherwise, the contract tolls into next season. He would still owe him another year at the old price. But he says, I'm not coming in. And he's he's been fined $50,000 a day since Jeez. camp opened at the end of July. But when you're making 15 mil, I guess it doesn't matter. But see, he's not coming, and Kansas City doesn't have a solution to that. Indianapolis, uh, they've reached the end of the road with Jonathan Taylor. He's had a masterful four years with the Colts, 4,800 all-purpose yards. He's not in camp, asked to be traded. They gave his agent permission to work a deal with another club. Tuesday is the deadline for if you got a deal, you better show up and tell us what it is. But they're asking for a number one pick for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, who wants to take on his contract, then you have to take on the reality he's a walk-free agent at the end of the season, and what's it going to cost me to keep him? And then you have the intangibles. He's he's coming off ankle surgery and before that a back injury. But, yeah, he's still a hell of a player. 6.1 yards per carry, 4,800 all-purpose yards, does everything. Indy's going to trade him. Uh, they're not going to release him, but they, they, they will trade him if they get the price. If not, he's got to play because if he doesn't play – that contract tolls into next season. He still owes him a year. Uh, Tampa, this story is just broken. Baker Mayfield, who's won the starting quarterback job for the Bucks, former Cleveland potential star, went to Carolina, washed out Tampa Bay in a rebuild situation, sues his father. His oh father God. runs a big investment firm in Cleveland. Sues his father for $12 million, missing money that Baker Mayfield gave his father to invest, wants to know the accounting. Where is the investment? Family has not given him that. He's filed suit against his father. So won't you be glad when the season starts, you won't have to deal with Chris Jones, John Taylor, or Baker Mayfield's father. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I, I get it that the, the players, they want to negotiate. Their only leverage is to not show up. But they're leaving all that money on the table. I mean, it just seems to me the right answer is, is, Take the money because you've got the contract and then negotiate when the contract's over. I mean, because you're putting yourself in a bad spot here unless he thinks the team is going to cave. And I imagine they won't. I think the big issue, though, John, if you're playing on a one year contract and you get hurt in week three of the season 
And now you have no leverage when you become a free agent. That's why the stars, that's why Chris Jones, that's why Jonathan Taylor, before they step back on the field because of the, quote, injury factor in the league, of the opinion, pay me a multi-year deal. Give me my signing bonus. Everybody else is getting it. Now, these guys are all asking money from another solar system. It's not just a pay bump. It's taking Chris Jones from $15 million to $25 million, just like that. And Jonathan Taylor wants to go from $4 million to $10 million. Have they outplayed their contract? Yes, they have. Have they been unbelievably productive? Surely. But do you take them to the top of the stratosphere to get them into camp and play? And then how does that impact your cap and all the other guys? Because you've you got to deal with 53 guys and a salary cap yeah. that is inflexible. So I guess I understand it. But he's given up. If Chris Jones does not come in, give up $7.5 million of your salary? and then play half a season and walk at the end of the year or get franchise tag at the end of the year and repeat this thing again? <laughs> Tough call. Tough call. You know, and, and going to Baker Mayfield, um, I'm, I'm rooting for him to have success in, in Tampa. He's a character. Yeah. Um, and and he, need, I, he had a lot of you know, upside when he was drafted, a lot of hope, and it didn't work out. Maybe he can take the bucks down the, you know, to you know, have some success. But the funny thing about it is what, like suing your father, which is weird, but it's also these investments because a lot of times these players, they hook up with these investment advisors and they come up with these harebrained schemes to put the money. If they just take the money conservatively and like put it in an index fund, they'd be safe. They'd be fine for the rest of their lives. But they take these silly risks and then the money's gone. So I'll bet you that's what happened with Mayfield. The weird part is it's his father that did it. Yeah. It's not some stranger that he hired that maybe he should not have gotten involved in. It was... It was a family member. Hey, we get to halftime of our Thursday podcast brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Get your summer and fall project savings now at Dixie Line Lumber. Nine different locations to serve you. Whether it's power tools, paints, doors, windows, decking, outdoor lighting, patio furniture, or projects for the fall football season, take a stroll through the different stores. Dixie Line Lumber, nine stores to serve you. Check out the great monthly ad promotions, too, on the website, DixieLine.com. Dixie Line, filled it, fix it, build it, and enjoy it. John, before we start the second half here, let's remind everybody uh, about our fans forum. Pick a topic, state an opinion, Get ready for a response and how Fans Forum works right mm-hmm. at the end of our podcast. Yeah, it's like have a take and don't suck, right? <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, so drop your comment or question in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. I know you got a lot of questions for Hacksaw about the NFL, the Padres, the White Sox, everything we've covered so far. Uh, that's your chance to get involved in Fans Forum. And we want you to subscribe. We want you to join our team. On the out-of-town scoreboard, we are hoping by Labor Day to get to 3,000 subscribers on our podcast, Mm -hmm. which is a phenomenal number in just about one year's time. And we started this thing, it's all John's fault, (laughs) posting stuff on Instagram. And John John keeps check of the out-of-town scoreboard, all the analytics. And John John came back to me and said, do you know that we've had 428,000 views in the last 28 days? Phenomenal amount. Yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, it's blowing up. And especially on Instagram, those short videos are only like 59 seconds long. And some of them have close to a half a million views, just one video. So, uh, yeah, people are loving Hacksaw. They're loving the sports content. And it's not just in Southern California. It's all across America. And a reminder, if you like sports, 
pivot from this and go check out my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I write on it every day. You get the best 15 minutes in sports. You get Hacksaw's headlines, my one man's opinion column, as well as you take part in Hacksaw's mini poll. So subscribe, share, give us a thumbs up. Give us a five-star rating. We'd like to have that, too. John, we move on to the second half. Man, we got some fireworks off the floor in basketball. Yeah, so NBA news is interesting because we're starting to get ramped up for the season. Yeah, it's interesting, those headlines. Trades, fines, and lawsuits. Let's get started. Big lawsuit with the team on the left there, the New York Knicks. I've never heard this before, but I guess it does happen in big business. Knickerbockers have filed a major lawsuit against the Toronto Raptors. Toronto's new head coach hired the video coordinator of the Knickerbockers to a new job just about a month ago. The video coordinator took all of the Knicks' video files and sent them to the Raptors, which I think is illegal insider trading or something of that magnitude. Uh, The Knickerbockers found out it included videos of workouts, scouting reports of every player that they had looked at, other data, salary information. This this former Knicks video coach just hired in Toronto as part of a new staff took over 3,000 files and sent it to the Raptors. This is a massive, massive lawsuit. I'm sure the NBA is going to have to get involved to put that fire out. Second story, Philadelphia 76ers, James Harden. A week and a half ago, called his general manager, Daryl Morey, a liar. Said he'd never wear the uniform again, not coming to camp. Kind of insinuated that Morey had promised to trade him if if he opted in in the final year of his contract, which would give the Sixers breathing room. Insinuated that Morey said, let's talk about a, a max contract ex, uh, extension. Now Morey's not traded him. He's asking the moon. Clippers won't pay the moon for a 36-year-old player who's got a lot of baggage. And now Maury's insinuated to Harden's agent, I'm not giving him a max contract. I'm not giving him $50 million a year at his age. And then, of course, James Harden kind of burned the house down by calling Maury a liar. And now this week, Maury says, our camp opens September 22nd. You owe us a year on your contract. This is really nasty stuff. So I'll be fascinated to see where this goes. Interesting, though, the other guy that's trying to get traded, Damon Lillard, yesterday up in Oregon, told reporters in Portland, yes, confirming I've asked to be traded. I've given everything in my heart and soul I can to the Trailblazers. I would just like an opportunity to go somewhere else. But he he stopped short of saying my career is over in Portland. He refused to denounce anything wrong with the Blazers, although the general consensus is he's so disappointed that all their acquisitions have not put the team back in the NBA Western Finals. And he stopped short of saying, I have to go to Miami because that's where I want to go, but that had been insinuated prior. So it's it's interesting, this Nick mess, the Harden situation, which is really, they're in trench warfare now, and then how Lillard is handling what he hopes would be his exit 
from the trailblazers. So go ahead, Mr. Corporate America. Tell me about the employee <laughs> who's leaving to go across the street and taking all the files with him. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, that's like a breach of proprietary information. Um, it reminds me a little bit of that deal with the Cardinals and the Astros a few years back where mm. someone was hacking into their systems. But uh, yeah, I mean, they got to take action against us. Now, uh, granted, I mean, how much are you going to really learn from watching a guy work out? I mean, you've seen him play on the court. You've seen him play in college. It's not going to be that big of a deal. But still, this is wrong. I mean, the Toronto got, uh, team needs to fire this guy because you're going to bring him on board. Then what's he going to do with his next job when he goes to you know the Lakers? And is he going to send all the, the files from the Raptors to the Lakers? He can't be trusted. Well, you got scouting report notes. You got conversations with agents about what was discussed as it relates to dollar value of your player. My, I mean, okay, that's so there fair. is some real internal information there. But how could this video coach think by sending stuff out on email? There's not going to be an electronic trail that goes from the 212 area code to the 406 <laughs> area code in, in Canada. Yeah. How do you do that? Uh, yeah, it's just stupid. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I've just recently went through some training on cybersecurity issues, and they were talking about this sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's it's nuts. And uh, they, they need to take, uh, use a heavy hand here. Toronto, at minimum, should fire this guy. The NBA will get involved, and I, there'll be a hammer dropped on a, a number of people, I think, there, and maybe including the new Raptors coach. Who hired this guy? Yeah. He hadn't even coached his first NBA game. Think about that story. Okay, from hoops, let's go to soccer. A lot of interesting storylines here. Yeah, there are. I mean, they've got a couple of soccer stories. Team USA in the news. Well, Team USA a week ago fired Vlatko, their head coach, after the failures in the Olympics. And then obviously what happened at the end of the of the World Cup when they got knocked out in the knockout round. The players, for the most part, have been silent up until now. And now Lindsay Horan is the first one that has really publicly spoken out. And she said this team was ill-prepared to play in the World Cup. There were huge questions about scouting reports, individual game preparations, the fact that Vlatko was experimenting, moving players around in different positions in practice days before a game. There was no continuity to build this whole thing. So she is really upset about that situation, kind of insinuating Vlatko had to go. Regardless of how well we played, we didn't play really well. Now, my response has been, I, I watched those games at 3 a.m. really closely, <laughs> and we, we had a team that was in transition. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. Lindsey Horan, I thought, had just a great tournament. I agree. Uh, you know, Megan Rapino did not. Uh, obviously, Alex Morgan had opportunities to score but didn't. But we had so many young kids. The young kids all had chances to put the ball in the back of the net and had shots that hit crossbars, hit post, were blocked in front. There were a bunch of scoring opportunities. Team USA just did not score. They had they had one goal in their final three games. They only had four goals in the whole four games before they got got knocked out. But uh, so Lindsay Horan was, was really vocal and critical. Now, this story is just broken within the hour. The head coach of the World Cup champion Spanish team yes. has been removed. Really? He's been fired. He's the one. I don't know if you're familiar with this. The Spanish coach at the end of the game, standing oh, on I the sideline, grabbed his crotch as he looked towards the English side and grabbed his crotch. <laughs> then he ran on the field to celebrate, 
grabbed one of his players and kissed her on the lips. Jeez. And then he ran around doing big group hugs with all the other female players. Megan Rapinoe just ripped him at being yeah. a sexist and all that. It was just a terrible display. So 24 hours after the story really kind of got out in public, he is gone. Christian Pulisic. Hey. AC Milan. League play. Serie A just starts. Two mm-hmm. goals, one assist. Hey, right on. First two games. Cool. He's done very, very well. So that's kind of cool. Okay, your response to Team USA, the Spanish coach, and Pulisic in Italy. Well, first of all, the Spanish coach, I mean, that's like assault. I mean, to grab a woman and kiss her on the lips, on a, you know, without permission. Uh, but let's, I want to talk about Lindsay Horan because boy, was she tough in that tournament. I mean, she's big, she's strong. She was knocking people around, but she is one in a long list of people that have criticized Vlatko. I mean, remember Carly Lloyd was vo- mm-hmm. vocal. A lot of others were uh, really upset with this guy. I mean, Vlatko had this great opportunity, all this talent, all of this pedigree. And it just seems like he was not taking it as seriously as he should. You know, changing up the lineup or the rotation like a couple of days before uh, the games doesn't make any sense. It moved players because of injuries yeah. to different positions right before they play a game. I mean, it, Julie Ertz was moved to midfield. She's not a midfielder. And they asked her to be the catalyst to make plays. They gave her like one day's notice to do this. It's like sounds desperate. Yeah, it just it was strange, and uh, and I grant you, they lost Betty uh, Sauerbrunn. I mean, I mean, she was their best fullback, best defender, and she went down with a knee injury. And they had, I think, they had three significant injuries. But I, I guess I don't understand Vlatko's approach to training. When the players are saying we weren't intense enough, if he was going to make changes, we needed to practice what they were doing. Um, yeah, and you watched, I watched the, a chunk of the Spain-England game, the championship game, mm-hmm. and I've never seen pinpoint passing as I saw Spain. Holy cow, as they were coming up the field, boom, 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 boom. They had like 100, I'm going to say 140 pass completions. England had less than 90. Wow. So, I mean, Spain was able to get it out of the zone, to move it at a much fa- faster tempo, and to be so accurate and their ball control was just phenomenal. It was like 68% they controlled the ball during that game against England. They beat them only one nothing. But, so, you know, you got to prepare to play the way you're going to play in the tournament games. And as Lindsay said, they didn't, they didn't do that. Yeah, interesting talking about Spain because that's part of the artistry of the game. Yes. You know, part of the beauty of the game, the way they can pass and be so precise. And you can really see, like, you know, when you, Team USA, like in the 1990s, played Brazil, I remember in the 94 World Cup, and it was like night and day, you know, in terms of how the, the skilled players are able to control that ball. It like sticks to them. Like Velcro, the way they move that ball around. Um, so good on Spain for for doing that. I mean, because a lot of people have criticized the women. Oh, they don't have the skills. They're nowhere near. They can't beat a teenage <laughs> club team of men. Spain's not in that conversation. No, no. I mean, so these <laughs> a lot of these women are legit. Uh, but boy, what a wasted opportunity for Team America. Yeah, I thought they were in t- a team in transition. I think we've seen the future. The future is much brighter. I mean, they've they've really got a wave of really good young skilled people as they say goodbye uh, to Rapino and Alex Morgan and whomever. I mean, the program is here, but the program used to be here. Yeah. It used to be the global power, and it's not the power right now. Is that a one-time thing? 
We'll find out four years from now. Speaking of soccer, this story is just in the process of breaking. Yeah, a lot going on here in San Diego soccer community. Well, we're losing the USL team. Uh, the owners of the San Diego Loyal, led by that guy, Landon Donovan, have announced this will be their final season in San Diego. There's probably a wide variety of reasons that the franchise has gone to the USL office and said, we must relocate. They they maintain they've not found a stadium that they can afford to play in. Now, they're, they're Division Two. They are not MLS. Uh, they don't draw 25,000. Says we can't find a facility. They've been playing at USD that can afford us the opportunity to stay in business. Snapdragon's probably too expensive to open for them. They also need a training facility because they have put together an infrastructure of really good youth programs, which you need facilities to operate your youth programs. They they looked. They said they looked everywhere in San Diego to try to find something that's workable. They can't find it. So they're, they're going to exit at the end of the season, and the franchise will be moved to some other city where remains to be seen whether Landon Donovan goes with it remains to be seen also. It, it's almost as if the loyal, and they, they were greeted warmly here because that man has such credibility in the, in the soccer world, oh, soccer community, greeted warmly, but it looks like they've been moved out. The, the MLS is coming. That's mm-hmm. going to be a very different uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, the San Diego Wave have been unbelievably successful, mm-hmm. and they're moving into Snapdragon Stadium, and they're drawing mega crowds in the National Women's Soccer League. And you know, and the other one that's kind of lost out there, still in business, they're going to move to a new facility in the North County, the San Diego Soccers, legendary indoor team, but it's not... It's not the indoor league that we knew. It's not. It's not the era of Julie V, and it's not the mm. era of Stevie Zungel, and when, when that indoor league was really dominant, and they were playing in big markets. I'm not to use the word semi-pro as an insult, and I won't use that as an insult to Craig Childs, a great player and a record goal scorer. It's just it, it's it's a little bit like semi-pro, and they found a niche and they have their supporters. Of they draw thirteen hundred, fifteen hundred, but it's too bad because the loyal worked hard. They had a following, uh, great credibility with Landon Donovan, but it looks like they're kind of being squeezed out by everything that's happened in the community since they went into business. Well, it seems like they're. You know, with the, with the MLS team coming, it's odd to have both a major league and a minor league team yep. in town. But I'm surprised they couldn't figure out a way to get facilities because UCSD, San Diego State, you figure that they'd find a way to maybe cooperate with them. Well, the USL evidently has new guidelines that they want stadiums that are at least 6,000. And USD was under that. And I don't think UCSD has a 6,000-seat stadium. But they also need training facilities. Mm-hmm. And they also need, obviously, fields and structures for the youth programs and those kids that are in the pay-for-play youth programs mm-hmm. that the Loyal run. So it just they didn't have the facilities to get it done. At least that's their explanation. Wow, that's that's sad. But I'm I'm still overall I'm excited for soccer in San Diego with the MLS coming here. And I will say I went to a lot of those games with Julie V in the sports arena. Yep. That was electric. I mean that place lit up when they were playing against Cleveland and all these other teams in that league. But now it's just a fraction of what it used to be. Well, yeah, and it's it's really become regionalized. It's just it's just not the same league. Do they have good guys? Yeah, Craig Charles is a really fine player. Uh, you know, and their head coach, Sean Bowers, a general manager, really good man. But at the end of the day, it's they don't market it. It's just not what it used to be. And I was in 
indoor soccer when it was in its formative stages, you know, and I was in Cleveland. I did the Cleveland Force, mm. and we'd, we'd go play the New York team that was led by World Cup goaltender Shep Messing. And, of course, you come out here and you play San Diego at the sports arena. And that was that was V, and before that it was Stevie Zungle, and there were so many great players oh, yeah. that played with the San Diego soccer. So they have their niche, and they've been able to stay in business. It's just not the same team, and I'm not being critical. It's just not the same league anymore. But one thing is the same. Fans form. Fans form. Fans get a chance to stand up, sound off, tell us what they think so we can respond to what they think. John, these are your best friends from left field. <laughs> uh, what have they got to ask on fans form? Okay, let's go to Billy here. He's got an Angels question. He says, whoa, Shohei Otani retire and Trout be traded? Thoughts? Well, Otani's not going to retire. Otani might become a normal major league power hitting designated hitter. I don't know if he'll be able to pitch again, but we just have to wait and see whether he has brace surgery or full Tommy John surgery to see if he can come back on the mound. I think the bigger question is what what does it say to his price tag? But if he's still a superstar hitting 46 to 50 home runs per year, he's probably going to get paid very well. The question is, where does he get paid? Trout's had a really good career as an individual, but a very frustrating career because of who this team is. Uh, what is it, seven or eight losing seasons in a row now that they're facing? And he's, he's just really had bad luck. He just cannot stay on the field. He has missed. Oh, by the time we get to the end of the season, I think Trout has missed 300 games in maybe the last four years. Wow. And, you know, this is a guy that, you know, he breaks the hammock bone in his hand on a violent swing trying to hit a home run. The guy runs into a fence trying to make a catch and injures his back. Calf injury, run on the bases. I mean, guys break down. So he's had a really good career. He's an 11-time All-Star, but at the end of the day, he just can't stay on the field. And so you take all that and you add in the Rendon situation and all the injuries they've had with their pitching staffs and then the failed trades or the mistakes in free agency. Boy, it's just it's a franchise that just cursed. Uh, I don't think they're going to trade Mike Trout. Uh, they, they've indicated they're going to try to keep Otani, so we'll, we'll see if that relationship continues. Phil Nevin deserves better, you know? I mean, he's a good coach. He's got his opportunity. But, yeah, the Angels would be nuts to trade Trout, um, especially since he's been injured. They, they would probably – other teams would try to get a discount on that. How old is Mike Trout? 32, maybe, 34. Okay, so he's kind of getting up there a little. He's played a lot. Yeah. There's a wear and tear factor, I think. On him. Okay, next question. Okay, from Emmanuel. And he says, I'm glad Reggie Bush is suing the NCAA. USC made an example of while many SEC schools were given a slap on the wrist. Well, some of the SEC schools have been nailed. Tennessee just got nailed. Now, they didn't ban him from a bowl game, but they took so many scholarships and recruiting visits away. You know, Josh Hupel is not going to have an ability to win any games at Tennessee. So that that's a pretty significant discipline they just handed out to UT. Um, the the sanctions have been really hard uh, to to show any fairness because they've been all over the place. You look at you look at mistakes and you look at trouble and you look at Ohio State and illegal benefits that led to Jim Trussell getting fired as head coach. And then you look at what they did to USC, and you look at, obviously, what was done in the past. The Southwest Conference was dirty, as you can believe. Mm -hmm. SMU, Eric Dickerson, Craig, all those guys. Craig James, right? Craig James. Um, So the consistency in the NCAA 
has really been an issue. But at the end of the day, the fact that Reggie Bush refused to cooperate with the NCAA investigation, to me, is that that's a huge credibility thing that's wrapped on him. Uh, and the fact that his family, they didn't deny it. Guys got convicted because of what they did. So it's pretty hard for me to buy that he didn't get any benefits out of this. His family got all the benefits. That's that's indirectly him. Yeah, yeah, that's a stretch. But uh, NCAA is a real mess right now, and they've, oh. they've got to clean this thing up. And I, I don't know, I don't know where all this thing is going. I just, I'm not just, I'm not convinced that Bush has legs to stand on with the way he's directing this this lawsuit. Well, imagine just for a minute that he won the lawsuit and he had his money back, his reputation restored. Well, then you could go back in time and start overturning a lot of things like the Michigan basketball program would get their banners back for their their, their championships, UNLV basketball. I mean, we could go down the list. We'll see if this ever gets to court and we'll see if there's a dollar value attached to what Reggie Bush and Ben Crump are trying to do. We go on. Next question. We go on. OK, here's a Aztec question from John Hopkins. He says, just want to express my admiration for Steven Strasburg, who will announce his retirement on September 9th. Helix, San Diego State, Washington, World Series MVP. He gave me a lot to cheer for. He gave Washington everything he could humanly give. And then his body kept breaking down on him. He's a self-made guy. You know, those of us have been out here a long time in San Diego, saw him grow up uh, coming from the East County as just just an big old farm kid who was out of condition. And then he learned to be a pitcher. And then Gwyn taught him how to be a professional. And then he went to Washington. And Mike Rizzo, I, I think historically, is one of the more underrated general managers who built the Washington Nationals into a team that won the World Series. And now they've gone through some really bad times where ownership is about to sell the franchise and he had to cut payroll and move people and all that. But yet you look at the box scores and you look at what they have at AAA, they got like 11 really good young kids. A whole pile of them came from the players in the Juan Soto trade. Yeah. Rizzo's done a good job. Rizzo, I think Rizzo's a good baseball man. But I guess all franchises go through those cycles. But... Uh, Hey, Strasburg, a hell of a career. It's too bad it was kind of cut short. Yeah. I, I would have loved to seen him get the chance to maybe push this thing to 200 career wins, which to me is almost a Hall of Fame type stature accomplishment. Yeah, he's definitely on the cusp of a Hall of Fame or just really good. But just what a sensation he was at San Diego State. Yeah. And we started hearing the stories about him. It was like he was this legendary mythical figure that they found. Kind of like, remember the Sports Illustrated article about Sid Finch? Yeah. You know, <laughs> he could throw 140 miles an hour and all this Get other from crazy. Australia. Yeah. <laughs> so, but he was the real deal. And uh, what, you know, Aztec fans were very proud of him. But, uh, yeah, a tough way to go out. Real tough. On we go. A couple more questions here from the fans before we go to social media. Manny has something to say. He says, if Cal goes, uh, does go to the ACC, would the UC Board of Regents try to prevent the deal? What about if they only go for football and basketball? Who do the other sports play against? Well, none of the Stanford-Cal stuff makes any sense to me at all. And yet, what I dug up was the fact that ESPN went back to the ACC with their TV contract and said, if you expand and go to 18, which is what they're now talking about, they're talking about Cal, Stanford, and SMU. You'd take in the Bay Area. You'd take in the Texas TV market. If you do that, we'll give you $72 million 
addition to the terms of the contract that goes till 2036. What, they, what they've evidently got Cal and Stanford to kind of agree to is they take a minimum pay TV deal for the first five years. <clears throat> SMU would take no money, which is weird to me, but they take no TV revenue for five years. Then they would get bumped up to be on an even pay scale. If that were to happen, it'd be about, I was told, $55 million left in the ESPN bonus package that they would give the ACC. ACC would then flip that and give it give it bonus money on top of the TV revenue, bonus money to any school that went to the college playoffs, bonus money if you won the championship. In essence, they would give bonus money to Florida State, Clemson, Miami as a way to keep them in the conference hmm. and make them stop looking across the street. Makes no sense to me to have Cal and Stanford be in the ACC on the other side of the country. Makes no sense. What kind of rivalry? Are you excited about a rivalry? You play in Wake Forest? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's absurd to me. And then what do you do with all your uh, Olympic sports, et cetera? Um, byproduct of this, if this happens, and I'll tell you what, by the time we do our Monday bonus podcast, this might happen, that those three would go to the ACC. That leaves Oregon State, Washington State by themselves. The Pac-2. The Pac-2. <laughs> But I'll tell you what, if they if they could emotionally make the commitment to drop down to the Mountain West, and maybe that would then lead to a new TV contract the Mountain West has. But if the Mountain West, which has got pretty good football programs, adds the Beavers and adds the Cougars, that's a pretty good football conference. Yeah. Now, the problem is, I think you'd still be a group of five. I don't think you'd be a power five just because you added Oregon State, Washington State. But those those people in Corvallis and Pullman, this has been so cruel to them. What's happened to this this conference? And, I mean, I I just I blame the Pac-10 presidents. They have blood on their hands on this terrible, and now there's no conference at all. It might be down to Pac-2 by Monday. But it might be good for the Mountain West to add the Beavers and the Cougars to San Diego State and Boise and Fresno. That'd be kind of a neat football conference, but— Boy, there'd be a, what an emotional setback that would be to be a beaver, to be a cougar, and now drop down to play in the Mountain West. Yeah, that's a step down. But, you know, look at so many things going on in college sports. It's oh. insane. Um, so, you know, these programs, you know, they're trying to figure out what to do. I think about BYU when they went independent, uh, but they had all their non-football sports in the uh, West Coast Conference. Yeah. And, you know, something like that could work. But, yeah, it, it, the whole thing is just a big cluster, you know, when it comes to how they're doing it. It's like the TV executives are running these conferences. The conferences have kind of given up, you know, in their own integrity on this. And then what we talked about last week, what Trev Alberts in Nebraska said, these guys are going to regret this because these networks are going to wake up one morning and say, why the hell are we paying 50 million TV money to Northwestern to finish last or to Maryland yeah. Or to Rutgers. Yeah. That makes no sense. And then the jumping off point was Conference of Champions, Champions League. Take the top two or three schools from each of the big boys, and they go into a conference by themselves. It's very complicated. I get a headache trying to think about it. But we'll see where this ACC expansion goes, which then impacts what's left in the Pac-2. The Pac-2 joins them out west. We'll have more topics on the table to talk about. Okay, John, move on. One, here's another final social media or uh 
live stream comment. Uh, shout out, Saw, from <laughs> Hamul to Hamaka. We're all watching. You know, it's interesting. A, a reporter uh, called me to do an interview with me this week uh, for the, quote, Coastal News, which is a weekly paper over Del Mar, Solana Beach, Cardiff-by-the-Sea, Encinitas. Got a lot of subscribers. And I thought he was calling to make light of the fact the Aztecs play my Ohio Bobcats. <laughs> we wound up talking about the history of Sports Talk Radio. So if, you, if you're really interested, just go to their website. I think it's CoastalNews.com and see the article that Jay Paris wrote about what we're doing now on our podcast, what we're doing on social media, what we're doing with my website. So it was a very complimentary column. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, what was that line you had about the Raider fans? Oh, Raider Nation, out of jail, on bail, call now. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. We all remember those days in 690. Let's get some social media comments in here. And uh, here's like the good one here about the Dodgers, because there's been so much smack talking in our Instagram on the Why Dodgers. The hate? Oh, just so much. Yeah. And this is from Gerardo. And he says, I don't hate the team, but I hate what surrounds them. Most of the fans are trash. Their columnists, their sports announcers are so full of bleep. Obviously, the team is top three in the league. And for the strut it has with one World Series ring in the last 34 years, it's a trash supporter team. The Giants have three rings these past 12 years, and I don't see them acting like cock, cocky like like the Smurfs do. <laughs> guys from San Francisco here, friend of yours? Or? I don't know, man, but it's, it's coming down hard. Now, I can't use, I can't agree with everything you say that the Dodgers announcers are bleep. I'm sorry, Vin Scully was not that. Oh, yeah. Uh, End of the day, the Dodgers are a really good organization. And if yes, they've only won one World Series in three decades, but winning a World Series is really hard. The Giants were the uniqueness. Atlanta's had a great franchise for all those decades, a chunk of them with Bobby Cox, and they did it one time. Hmm. So, you know, I, I, I don't know whether it's, it's the L.A.-San Diego emotion, the relationship, big team, little brother down, down the freeway. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, the Dodgers are in first place, and the Dodgers are probably going to want to play the Braves sometime in the National League playoffs, and the Padres don't get it done again. So this conversation, I'm sure, will go on and on and on. But I think you do have to respect the history oh, yeah. of Dodger baseball. And, and I mean, they have been front runners and groundbreakers in terms of a lot of things about the business of baseball and the personnel of baseball and where they go get uh, all the players of baseball. Uh, I think we view the Dodger leadership differently than we view the Yankee leadership when it was owned by Steinbrenner. Mm. And then we, we view the Dodgers differently than Ted Turner in Atlanta or the people up in the New England nation, uh, the, the Red Sox fans. So I, I think it's been a great organization. Padres are a great organization at this point in time, but they haven't gotten the job done. Well, I think, you know, yeah, as far as our organization, Jackie Robinson, Fernando Valenzuela, um, everybody from the Pacific Rim, Hideo Nomo. I mean, just so many great signings. And, uh, you know, again, I'm, I grew up a Giants fan. I'm a Padre fan now. And it pains me to say it, but they're a good organization. But the the, the smack talking in the Instagram is insane. And uh, it, it's basically fans hating on fans. Not too much hating on the team. On we go. We've got a couple more social media here. Okay, let's go here to uh, 
Again, talking about conference realignment, here's one. Um, This is from um, Adam, and he says, anyone reporting Miami to the SEC isn't doing their homework. Multiple sources have reported the SEC is not interested in adding Miami. This is why Florida State is working with Clemson, Florida, Alabama, Auburn, and Georgia. They would all block Miami. Well, I think Florida State and Miami are kind of emotionally joined. But I don't know at this point that there's going to be a divorce because— I think also there's a chunk of people that say, well, you're thinking about Florida State's greatness during the Bobby Bowden era. Uh, they haven't been great for a while. So Florida State's not what Florida State is. Neither are the Hurricanes. Um, you know, and if, if this is all about money, and if the ACC does this weird deal with Stanford and Cal and generates more money in their own bank account for all these teams, then I think the ACC probably stays in place. But there is there is disparity I mean, Clemson is at a different level than Virginia and everybody else in the Atlantic Coast Conference. And Florida State used to be at a certain level, and the Hurricanes used to be at a certain level, but have not been for a while. Trev Alberts might turn out to be the the, the swami, the yeah, the forecaster of this whole thing. Again, just getting those elite teams together, but that would just kill the rest of the sport. We move on. We move on. Here's another Dodger comment, and he says, "It's not Tommy Lasorda's uh, mouth; it's your mouth. What's wrong with you with disrespecting Tommy? Tommy was great. Tommy was a great motivator. They gave him great players, and he pushed enough buttons and." But his mouth did wear you out from the outside looking in. It just on and on and on and on. But that's not to take away from all the wins. But he had 1,400 wins in his career. Phenomenal guy. Self-made guy. And he was a personality unto himself. But I, I, I think I spin back because the, the reason the reason Bistrata uh, has, has said this is it comes as an offshoot of why the hate towards Dodgers? Well, there's a lot of people outside the circle just tired of Tommy Lasorda's mouth and his act. <laughs> now, I'm sure there's a few select people tired of my mouth. That's okay. That that comes with the territory. But Lasorda did a hell of a job. And Dave Roberts has done an amazing job in a very, very different era of Major League Baseball. And those guys are superseded by Walter Alston, whose numbers were just staggering, I think, over a 24-year run uh, as a manager with the old Brooklyn Dodgers. So... Lasorda's persona probably kind of is always out front, and I think that's what may have turned Giant fan here <laughs> off a little bit. Yeah, when I think of Lasorda, I, not, not only do I think of him as a good manager, but I think of him and Oral Hershiser in 1988, you know, when they were had that magical run, and they had a different relationship. You know, they were very close. I think about uh, the, the Bavacqua verbal war with all the F-bombs. I think about him getting into a fight with the Philly fanatic, you mm-hmm. know, on the field. I think about him when it was an all-star game. Got hit by line driving and fell over. Yes. That, exactly. He fell over like a weeble. You know, the weebles fall, but they don't fall down or whatever, how that goes. But it was like they put him out at third base in an honorary situation. And then he ended up having to dodge a bullet. So uh, a character, but definitely a huge part of Dodger history. Oh, exactly. Yeah. We move on. A couple more here. Okay. Let's um, let's go here to oh, geez, let's see a little NBA comments here. This is from Joey talking about James Harden. He says, Harden is cooked. He had his chances to win a ring. Where he goes next doesn't matter much. I'll tell you what. His baggage precedes him in the front door because this stunt forcing his way out of Philly is like he forced his way out of Houston, like he forced his way out of Oklahoma City. 
like he forced his way out of Brooklyn. I mean, this this kind of action, I think, has payback down road. So you got all this unhappiness and his age, and you're going to give him a five-year max contract for 250 I don't think so at his age with his baggage. Can he still play? Yeah, he's got to have the ball in his hand all the time. Um, I think he's running out of places to go play. And for him to handle his business the way he did in Philadelphia is just it's sheer stupidity. If he wants to go to Golden State, wants to go to the L.A. Clippers, work out the deal behind the curtain instead of spouting off, this guy's yeah. a liar, he promised. There's no way to solve that once it's out there in the world. Yeah, if you're a GM of a NBA team and you're trying to build a championship team, James Harden isn't one of the first names you think of. Even if you just want to, you know, kind of get a little pizzazz, get more um, people into the arena to watch the game, is James Harden the guy that's going to, you know, sell out the season tickets for the the team? I don't think so. So he just seems definitely like the end of the line. You look at the guys who have forced their way off teams recently. You know, you start with Westbrook, Harden, Kyrie, Kevin Durant. That's just that's just four. There's probably a ton more who have created this mess and got traded and left behind the wreckage of a franchise because it didn't work out and they got out alive. I just think that's bad. That's a bad way to do business. I think it's bad for the game of the NBA. And unfortunately, Adam Silver has not been able to reel these characters back in and say, you're not going to do this. Everybody wants their max contract. Everybody's going to say what's coming out of their mouth or Whatever shows up on social media on their account, I, I just think it's detrimental to the league. Well, didn't this all kind of start when LeBron took his talents to South Beach? Because that's when the team started getting their buddies together and going in as a group. And they, the players started really calling the shots on trades. Yeah. And, but LeBron didn't do anything. He was wrong. He was a free agent. Right. He had, yeah. a, he had yeah. a right. And he, he, I mean, I saw that press conference. I said, oh, that is interesting. I'm taking my talents to Miami. But he was a free agent. He didn't have years left on his contract in which he'd stand up and say, I don't like what you're doing with the franchise. You failed me. I want out. By the way, I'm owed this amount of money. And LeBron didn't do it that way. And I think everybody resented, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. I think that was the wrong <laughs> phraseology to use. But, yeah, you know, it's odd. He did go back to Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And he was welcome with open arms. And they did have success in the second run with LeBron James. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed what we brought your way on Thursday. A reminder, we do a bonus podcast come Monday. We want you to subscribe to everything we're doing on the podcast. Please check my website. It's all written. I guarantee you'll really like it. LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Tell your friends, share with everybody. If you like, give us a thumbs up. You need to give us five stars because we have no pride. We need all the friends we can get. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. $10 bet. I got the Aztecs. You got the Bobcats? Oh, well, um, my favorite phrase is, don't screw with my team. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll, I'll take green and white. Hey, our broadcast brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Centers. Fix it, build it, and enjoy it. Thanks for being with us on our Thursday podcast on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.